It's always wonderful to witness a baptism. And tonight we're actually going to be looking at the account in the Bible of where Jesus has been baptized and what happened immediately following that in our series, our Easter series on who is Jesus. And particularly tonight, we're going to be focusing on this most amazing understanding that Jesus is the Son of God. Before we do that, I just want by way of introduction, because it'd be relevant to what we're going to say tonight. And uh, uh, I felt a kind of prophetic word for this year for us as church. And I've shared it across the Woodland Central congregations, apart from a Sunday evening. So I just want briefly to say something of that word, because it will relate to what I'm going to share tonight. I feel God particularly saying just three words, and it's about pursuing his presence. What does it mean to pursue the presence of God? You might almost say, well, can you pursue the presence of God? It's just something that happens to you, isn't it? You come into church and you feel God's presence. Does that mean that when you leave church, you also leave God's presence? Or is it possible to pursue God's presence with you all the time? In the Bible, it says amazing words, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's possible for us to proactively engage with God's presence. So even tomorrow, when you're with someone, they're not just conscious of your presence, but they're conscious of God's presence in you. You carry the presence of God with you. And what does that mean? How do, we, how do we experience God's presence? So three simple things that will be related to what we're going to share tonight. And the first is that pursuing his presence is pursuing the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our life. The Holy Spirit is the one Jesus said, when the Spirit comes, he will take of the things concerning me and he will make my presence real to you. The Holy Spirit, the more we know of him, the more we know of his presence. The second is that to pursue his presence is to pursue fullness of joy. The Bible says in, in those amazing words in Psalm 16, in his presence is fullness of joy. There's no greater joy than the reality of God's presence with us, whatever the circumstance we're facing. And the third thing is that pursuing his presence means pursuing the fullness of his purposes in our life. Moses once said when he was to lead the people of God through the desert, it was such a challenging experience. He says, Lord, uh, uh, who's going to go with me? And God says, my presence will go with you. And Moses then says, oh, Lord, unless your presence goes with me, don't send me up from here. It was the presence of God that was to make real the purpose of God, his plan, his purpose unfolding. And so we're going to see that little of that now as we read Matthew, starting at the end of chapter 3 and then into chapter 4. This is, we've just witnessed the baptism. These are the immediate moments following Jesus' baptism. And here's the story. Matthew chapter 3 and reading from verse 17. As Jesus come up out of the water, just like we've seen them come out of the water today. It was on the River Jordan. Jesus come up out of the water. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to this holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it's written he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is written also, do not put the Lord God to the test. 
Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Father, we pray now that you would come. Come by your Holy Spirit, Spirit of truth, guide us into truth. So not only what we've witnessed at this baptism today, but this record of scripture may speak to us today in a deeper understanding of who Jesus is as a son of God. What that means to us today, to know something more of the fullness of your Holy Spirit, that fullness of joy, that fullness of your purposes, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in answer to the question which this Easter series is about, who is Jesus? We can start with no stronger place than to hear God's view, God the Father speaking from heaven as Jesus comes out of the waters of baptism. He says, this is my son. Jesus is the son of God, unique eternal, sinless Son of God. There's something so unique and special about Jesus, and it's only when we understand who he is that we can understand what he's done and the significance of it. We just want to unfold that a little bit tonight. Who Jesus is, the Son of God. You see, as he came out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove and rested on him. Here's Jesus at the beginning of his ministry, and his ministry is to be marked by what? By the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We just said that to pursue the presence of God is to pursue the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We cannot live the Christian life without the power and enabling of the Holy Spirit. The more we know of him, the more we know of God's presence. The more we know the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the more we know the overflow of God's presence in our lives. And so Jesus, as the Son of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, begins that earthly ministry. But listen to what happens next. We have just said that to pursue his presence is also to pursue fullness of joy. In his presence, fullness of joy. But as Jesus comes out of the waters and hears that voice from heaven, this is my son in whom my pleasure is fulfilled. It said he was then led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Now, it's important to say, even tonight, and for those of you who've just been baptized and those who may be thinking about it, baptism doesn't suddenly make us immune from the pressures of life. I've been baptized, so now somehow there's that uh, surrounding protection. I'll never face challenges or trials or testings. Not at all. What God is promising is his presence doesn't make us immune from temptation, but enables us to overcome temptation, enables us to live the Christian life in the power of the Spirit. And so Jesus was led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. One of the things about Christian joy is that it's not stimulated just by external circumstances. You know, you've just heard great news, you've just passed your test, or you've just got a promotion, or whatever it may be, and you, you feel so happy about it. That's wonderful. But then anybody who's got no faith would feel the same as well. What is the difference about the presence of God in my life? Is there's a source of joy that doesn't come from external circumstances. In fact, it wells up inside of us. That's how Jesus describes the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our life. It's like a stream of living water welling up inside of us that all my springs of joy are in you. He's the source of that joy, not just the outcome. It's not just like I've had good news, so I'm now joyful and thank God. For it. But he actually is the source of that joy. 
And we see that perhaps most graphically illustrated in Jesus' life and ministry. When Peter comes to the end of his life in 1 Peter chapter 1, they're going through really testing times. There's been much persecution and suffering. Many have died for their faith, and already they're going through really dark times. But he writes these words. He says, though now for a season, if need be, we're going through all sorts of testing and trial in our faith. Our faith is being tested like gold, being refined in a fire. The one whom having not seen, we love. And yet we rejoice with a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. What kind of joy is this? It's not measured by how loud we laugh or how loud we joke. It's a joy that comes from within, that wells up within us. It's the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is joy. So, so much so that even in the midst of suffering, even though you may be going through testing times in your life, you're going through maybe real trials, it may be broken relationship, broken heart, it may be financial pressures, it may be health and well-being. What is it in the midst of that to find a source of inner joy? Now, it says of this of Jesus, and why it's so significant to understand who Jesus is, the Son of God, because we will never fully understand the significance of the cross without realizing he was the Son of God. And yet, as Jesus faced the cross, it says this, for the joy, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What kind of joy is this? It's a joy in the midst of testing, in the midst of temptation, in the midst of trial, when all hell is let loose around us, and yet... There's a joy of the Lord, which is our strength, our inner strength. Let's just briefly look at these three temptations. The first is, because each of them will help us to understand more what it means for Jesus to be the Son of God, what it means to pursue his presence. The first temptation is to turn stones into bread. Jesus was desperately hungry. I mean, he'd been fasting for such an extended period. And always the enemy of our souls will tend to attack us at our, our points of weakness, our points of vulnerability. When you're tired, when you're feeling low. When you're... And for Jesus, this was the biggest thing, was hunger. Now, I just want particularly to say here, because it's so important in understanding that Jesus, as the Son of God, was fully human and fully God. So Jesus felt human vulnerabilities. He felt hunger. If he didn't feel hunger, it would have been no temptation. If he didn't actually feel hungry, then this wouldn't have been a temptation. So the devil knew that this was a source of because of that human nature where he felt hungry. And you see throughout the scriptures many times, Jesus was thirsty. When he sat on that well, we heard that lovely testimony today about the woman at the well and the story. When he sat at the well and he says, can you give me a drink? He really was thirsty. When in the back of a boat, he fell asleep. He really was tired. He felt, he felt all those areas of human weakness. In fact, the Bible says, it's like coming to someone, you know when you pray, and you're you even feeling so tired, don't feel like praying, or you've had a really rough day and a really bad day, and you come to pray. The Bible says that when you come to Jesus to pray, you're coming to someone who is touched with every feeling of your human weakness. Whatever it is you're feeling. Jesus felt it. Not just hunger and tiredness, not just thirst, but heartache and hurt. He knew it was to be let down by his closest friend, denied, betrayed. He knew it was to feel utterly alone. In fact, Jesus experienced the full extremity of every human vulnerability. So whatever you're feeling today, however vulnerable you may feel, you may feel the worst moment you felt in your life. Jesus understands. He's touched with every feeling of weakness. That sense that he's fully human, but also he is fully God. 
what makes so special is it's not just that he empathizes with us. You see, you could imagine two, two homeless beggars down the city centre, and it's a winter wet night, a bit like it's been today, and, uh, and they're commiserating with each other, and one says to the other, oh, I feel freezing cold, and the other says, I feel freezing cold too. Yes, I'm starving hungry. He says, I feel starving hungry too. I feel so tired and so great. I feel... And the other looks and says, well, oh, that's great. He said, at least we feel the same. And there's some comfort, isn't it, in what we call empathy. But they can't do anything to help each other. What the Bible says is this, in that same passage in Hebrews, he's touched with every feeling of our, he empathizes fully. But when we come to him, we will find grace to help us at that point of need. He is not just fully human, he's fully God. By his spirit, that enabling of the Holy Spirit, he's able to pour his grace into our lives, whatever situation we're facing. So to come to someone who is truly human and truly God, is someone who we can come to and share, as it were, and open our lives to and experience that welling up, that joy of the Lord in the midst of our pain and heartache. It's interesting in the next of these temptations. Because what happens is the Jesus is taken up to the highest point of the temple, the pinnacle of the temple. And he's tempted, standing at this pinnacle, looking down miles below, just to leap off. Go on, a crowd of people. I mean, the temple is always crowded out. A crowd of people. Imagine what that would look like, a kind of even Knievel sort of action. He just jumps off of it. And as he gets to the ground, his foot hits the ground, but he, he gets up and he's fine. You can imagine him applauding, can you? It would do no, it wouldn't do anybody any good. Whenever Jesus did miraculous signs, it was to heal the sick or the blind or the lame or the hungry. But what it would have just been was a vain demonstration of human kind of vanity. And Jesus says, don't put God to the test. Don't sort of do things just to, to try and prove, as it were. In fact, the devil actually quotes the Bible. Imagine that. The devil quotes from Psalm 16. You know, his angels will bear you up so you don't strike your foot against a rock. Now, this is where we've got to be careful in life, even as we grow in our faith. You see, the Bible, we need to make sure it's the spirit of truth that's guiding us into truth, how we handle Scripture. Sometimes people can misuse Scripture and misguide us. But how do we sense it's the Holy Spirit that's guiding us in those Scriptures as we grasp that truth? Because, you see, it's a bit like this, the, the kind of temptation to throw yourself in. It's like... If I was going along a road and I saw a child almost stepping out of the front and I jumped in front of the bus to be able to save and I saved the child and I felt God help me in it. But suppose there's a bus coming along the road. I'm with a gang of my mates and I say to him, hey, watch this now. I'll jump in front of that bus. You see now, God will, God will save me. And, and I jump. No, no, he says, you don't go do things like that. It's not just kind of your vain demonstration, as it were. Don't put God to test like that. And this third of these is interesting because... The devil takes Jesus up into a high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And this is such a key temptation because in each of these temptations, where we see the wording of the way the enemy tempts Jesus, he says this, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you are the son of God, cast yourself down off the pinnacle. So here again, we started that reading with, the heavenly father affirming this is the son of God. Here we've got the devil himself actually aware this is the son of God, but constantly challenging that identity. As we say, if you are the son of God, then, then do this. If you are the son of God, then do this. And 
we've heard in some of our testimonies tonight the way in which the enemy will constantly challenge our identity in God. For each of those baptized tonight and for each of us that have come to faith in Jesus, when you become a Christian, you become a child of God. You become sons and daughters of God. You actually have a new identity. But the enemy will always be challenging their identity. And one of the, the subtle ways it happens is, he'll say to us, well, if you really are a Christian, if you really are a child of God, then, then why couldn't you do that? Why couldn't you do that? And that feeling of failure and weakness before long, we give in to it. We end up feeling failures and weakness and we lose that sense of identity in God. Once you lose your sense of identity, you no longer see, have the sense of faith of claiming the promises of God as a child of God because, oh, I'm not really too sure now because... And the enemy has fulfilled that temptation. If you are a child of God, then this. But for Jesus, we see that remarkable way in which for every temptation that comes, he responds to it. And the final one of these three temptations is so significant because it's about worship itself, the very heart of what it means to worship God. He takes him up to this high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world and says, you can have all these kingdoms, all these pleasures, all this wealth, all that's here, if you're willing to bow down and worship me. And Jesus replies, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. See, it is in our worship that we most fully and clearly declare who Jesus is, the Son of God. There is amazing words in, in John chapter 5 where it says this, he who honors the Son honors the Father. Just as you honor the Son, you honor the Father. So when you worship the Son, it's like worshiping the Father. He is the Son of God. That's as we worship today. So many of our songs are focusing on God the Father and Jesus the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. To worship him is the very heart of what it means to know him as the Son of God. And each of these temptations, what you'll find, all three of them, Jesus' response begins like this. It is written. It is written. It is each time. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone when temptation to him will do. It is written, you shall not put the law to the test. It is written, you shall worship the Lord God and serve him only. So for Jesus, remember, he's in the wilderness. Forty days been in this wilderness. It wasn't that the devil tempts him and said, because he's actually quoting from amazing Old Testament scriptures. We still got there as part of the Old Testament today. He didn't sort of have, pull out a scroll and say, it says here somewhere in Deuteronomy, yeah, ah, here it is. Or, or, or it says somewhere here. He just spoke those words. They were in his heart. What does it mean to so imbibe the word of God in our lives? That when we face temptation, in fact, the Bible itself says, hide God's word in your heart that you might not sin against him. When you face temptation, it's not just when you go to your library and find a Bible and find a verse, but how does it become part of our lives? Not just so we speak a word, but we think biblically. How do we, 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 we digest truth. There's something about truth that when we imbibe it, it becomes part of our DNA, part of our bloodstream. You know, when you eat something, you're going for a run, and you feel a bit weak and you feel a bit of energy, so you, I know, you have some baked beans or something like that. Now, that baked bean, when you eat it, suppose there's a big baked bean there. When you eat it, it goes down. You don't see it, it going down your vein, a little lump down there, or a little one going down your leg, and eventually pops up in your toe, and you think, oh, it's reached my toe, now I can, I can go running. It's not like that. By the time it gets to your toe or to the end of your finger, it's been completely digested and infused into your bloodstream. It's part of your bloodstream. What does it mean to think biblically? So when I 
take scripture and read it daily. It speaks about your word washing through me, through my mind, through my conscience, through my memory. What does it mean for, for God's word to be so much a part of our lives? When I read it daily, how do I say, speak, Lord, your servant's listening? How is God speaking to us through his word day by day? You see, to pursue his presence is to pursue the fullness of his purpose in his life, to sense every day of our lives those promptings of God's spirit. That still small voice says, this is the way, walk in it. That sense of God speaking to us. When I open the Bible every day as I read it, part of my praying is, Lord, speak, Lord, your, your servant's listening. I was sharing just recently this story, I'll close. It happened many years ago. And um, just last year, we celebrated 52 years of, of ministry here in the city. And, uh, but this was even before that. In fact, many years ago, and I was only just telling somebody recent this, but um, maybe some of you had... Um, I, I was working for what was one of the biggest companies in the world at that time, a very exciting day where it was many of the things that are part of our way of life today were being discovered. And, um, and one of the countries that was also had some interesting developments was the, the country of Israel. It had, uh, had some amazing desalination where it was enabling the, the, the desert to blossom, literally, and uh, to desalinate plant and things. And, but also IT. It was one of the early uptakes of IT and still is one of the leaders. And I had this amazing opportunity to go for three months to the Middle East to study and research the industrial and technological development of the whole of Israel. And I spent much of that at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem and then traveled all around there, seeing many of its leading edge developments. And, but one thing I always wanted to do was to visit Bethlehem. And that was because I had corresponded years before with a dear old lady in Bethlehem who was blind. And she ran this uh, home for disabled and blind people, a remarkable work. And, and I'd said to months and months before, before I went, if I am able to get to Israel, and if I am able to get, I would love to be able to come to Bethlehem. But I don't know if that would be possible, because this was so long ago, before many of you were born, it was before the Six-Day War. So Bethlehem was part of old Jordan then. It was a different boundary. So you couldn't cross from Israel into Jordan. In those days, before there were emails or anything like that, you couldn't even communicate. You couldn't send a letter from Israel to Jordan. You couldn't cross the boundary from Israel into Jordan. If you had, if you had Israel on your passport, you couldn't cross into Jordan. So it was a really challenging exercise. But because I had three months of research, I was able to have some amazing contact with uh, some key people in Israel itself. And eventually, I was able to um, send at the end of three months, particularly having a research project of the whole of Israel's development, I need to make sure I didn't take that with me. So I, I sent that back home and I negotiated with the British embassy, a long negotiation, but eventually to get a second passport, a blank passport. Imagine that. I'm going to cross from Israel, hopefully, into Jordan, and I haven't got Israel on my passport. But anyway, that's what I managed to do. And crossing, I was the only person crossing, it was the old Mandelbaum Gate, and it took hours they searched every hair on my comb. I took hours through all my baggage and everything else. But eventually I crossed into Jordan with the hope that I'd be able to get down and find Bethlehem and be able to see Auntie May, this dear old lady. She didn't know I was going to come or if it would be possible. But I was just hoping I'd be able to get down there. And I felt so hassled by this experience of going through the border, etc., that I just wanted to find somewhere quiet first to catch my breath and then find how I get down to Bethlehem. So I, I went to a place called the Garden Tomb. If any of you have visited Israel today, it's a common sight. In those days, it was more challenging to get to. But, um, uh, and, and the Garden Tomb is the place, believe, where you can still see that cave and that place where the rolling stone across that cave believed to be the place where Jesus was buried. 
as we think of this Easter. And I, I went inside this little green gate, which squeaked open, wooden gate, and sat on a stone bench and put my bags down, just caught my breath. No sooner did I sat down, and the door squeaked open again. There was a, there was a, a doorman near the door, and I heard a, a voice from outside say to the doorman, is Brother Robert here? I can still remember now standing up and thinking, oh, I can, felt the hairs on the back of my head. And I said, well, well my, na my, my name's Robert. And by now the door had fully opened. And the person outside had stepped inside and turned towards where I was. It was an old lady. She was obviously blind. And I said to her, you know, I, 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 I may be Brother Robert. Are you Auntie May? She said, yes, I am. I said, but Auntie May, how would you know I'd ever be able to cross? How would you know it would be today? How would you know I'd be here? And, and she said to me, like as if it was such a normal thing, she said, oh, Brother Robert, this morning, I felt God's presence with me. And he said to me this morning, go to the garden tomb at noon and you will find Brother Robert. Oh, my, I felt my heart. <laughs> but it was true. It was true. And I went to stay with her for the next few weeks. I lived in that, that disabled home with the blind people. And one of the things I learned so much from her, you see, she'd been blind most of her life. Maybe because of the blindness, she didn't have the faculty. She had cultivated such a listening ear to hear from God. When she prayed, you'd look around to see where the Lord was because it was like as if you were just in his presence. It was there that God laid some foundations in my own life about prayer that stirred me to a life of prayer, to want to... To want every day, what does it mean to hear God speak to us? That sense of promptings, that still small voice, that what I often call that wow factor where you feel God stirring. For us today, what does it mean? As Jesus responded to all those temptations, it is written, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's not just what God has spoken in the past what God is speaking today. I cannot live today just by bread alone. Just by, I also want the sense, that word of God, God speaking into my life to know what it is for Jesus, the son of God, the reality of his presence with me every day. That's my prayer here tonight. As we've witnessed these baptisms, what would it mean for us to be pursuing his presence? That fullness of the Holy Spirit, that fullness of joy, that fullness of his purposes for our life. And to get the worship group up just to come and lead us in a closing song. But this is what I want to do as we close tonight. Just so there's a chance for us. We're a full house here tonight. But I'd love to feel that for many of us, for all of us, there could be some way in which we respond. So what I'm going to suggest we do is just remain seated. You know, often when we say this is our last song. Now, if you all could stand, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is, if tonight, here tonight, you know, there's an amazing verse in, I often quote it, I won't tell you the stories behind it, but for me, but it says in Hebrews, today, tonight, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. So often the hurts and heartaches of life harden us as we, we don't hear his voice like once we did. What would it be tonight to sense afresh that sense of his presence speaking to us? To almost take those words of Moses as our prayer, Lord, don't send us out from here today unless your presence goes with us. So what I'm going to encourage us to do is don't stand as we begin now to worship. But if tonight you just want to sense a fresh touch 
of the Holy Spirit, that fullness of God's Spirit, that reality of his presence, that fullness of joy, that fullness of his purpose, then, then do stand, not because we're about to sing a, a hymn, but because you're responding to God. You're saying, yes, Lord, I want to pursue your presence, Lord. I come to you now as the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, just to be open to that fresh touch of the Spirit. I hope that's clear. So don't wait till the last verse. You can do it in the first verse. I'm already standing, so I, I'm saying tonight, Lord, I just want more of your presence. So let's just begin to worship together. And as we begin to worship, uh, let's also feel free to respond to that. If tonight you feel God stirring you to that. And then I want to pray for you as you stand, just that fresh anointing. So let's sing together as we worship. Mm.